My friends, for every need, for the need of our condition, which is a separation from God, God came, and God gave, and this is exactly what God gave, the great gift. This is the day that we remember kings brought gifts to Jesus because they knew this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him may not perish but have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but so that the world through him might be saved. Friends, believe this good news for you, for me, for all who put their trust in the full grace of Jesus Christ. There is forgiveness above and beyond all we could ever imagine. Tell that good news to the world. In Jesus Christ, we have new life. Amen. Thank you, Lord, that you came in search of us while we were yet sinners. Thank you that you abundantly pour into our lives evidence that you are here at work in us for your glory. And thank you that we have everything we need of hand and heart to show your grace and mercy and the truth of your presence to the world. And we pray that now as we give these gifts to you, we would be empowered by your Holy Spirit to continually let you reign in our lives and show forth your love for a world that is so in need, for your grace truly is enough. We pray all these things in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. This is a great morning. Isn't there a lot good going on? I just love what a family this church is. Gilson's doing music and uh, having Darren and his cousin Lou here to share this morning. The, just the, the fullness of the participation is just outstanding. And an, another opportunity for that, as you notice, we still have Christmas decorations here, and we're, we're planning on leaving them here till the 4th of July. <laughs> but if you don't think that's appropriate, this Wednesday morning at 9 o'clock, there will be a contingent here to un- decorate uh, if you want to come help out with that. So this Wednesday morning come uh, at 9 o'clock and I bet there will be some donuts and coffee and uh, some good fellowship. Let's join together in this uh, month, the five weeks of looking at the different elements of the Reformation and today grace alone by turning to what is arguably the most significant comprehensive, I guess is a good word, book in the Bible, Romans. If you you only had Romans, you really would have the fullness of, of the scriptures. And let's look at what that tells us about God's grace. In Romans chapter 3 and then chapter 11 uh, and then Ephesians chapter 2. So in Romans chapter 3, beginning with verse 21, Paul says, but now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been disclosed. See, people had thought, oh, if you just keep all the rules, the righteousness of God will come forward. 
Paul says, but now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been disclosed and is attested by the law and the prophets. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. That's where our hope comes from, he's saying. For there is no distinction since all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Our, our sin is not a matter of our behavior before it's a matter of our condition. We sin because we're sinners. And that behavior comes out of the fact that we cannot help ourselves. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But they are now justified by his grace as a gift. Not by the law, not by our good works. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a sacrifice of atonement by his blood effective through faith. He did this to show his righteousness because in his divine forbearance, that means God's putting up with us, he has passed over the sins previously committed. It was to prove at the present time that he himself is righteous and that he justifies the one who has faith in Jesus. That's where our hope comes from. That's where our salvation comes from. And it, looking forward in Romans chapter 11, verses 5 and 6, we hear, so, so too at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace, the body of Christ. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. If it's grace and what I can do, it's not grace. Chosen by God because God says, I have a plan. I want this to happen. And in the letter to the Ephesians, chapter 2, the cornerstone of the Reformation, these words that Martin Luther had hit him right in the middle of the forehead. He'd been spending his life trying to earn salvation. And he says, but God, who is rich in mercy, out of great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead through our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace. You have been saved. It's a past tense. It's already taken place. You have been saved by grace. Made alive. You have been saved by grace. And raised up with him and seated with us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the ages to come, that's now, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Jesus Christ. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. And this is not your own doing. And this is not our own doing. It is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are what he has made us. For we are what he has made us created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be 
our way of life. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you're here now in the power of your Holy Spirit and that that gift of grace in Jesus Christ is ours. Come now, speak to our hearts in the power of your Holy Spirit and let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be truly acceptable in your sight, O Lord, for you are our rock and you are our redeemer. And so we pray all these things in the strong name, the graceful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Well, I only have 14 pages, so. Yeah. Uh, Eight-point type. You know, there's, there's just not enough time. There's never enough time. But I want to take a few minutes right now and share with you about what is most essential in the few days that we have here in this life. And we really do not have very many days. We need to, we need to learn to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Psalm 90. I had, I had a dear, dear friend this past week, moment of personal privilege. A uh, 10-year Major League Baseball player, uh, uh, 20 years Major League Baseball coach, 64 years old, died on the operating table of a heart disease. Butch Rob, Rob Pichlow, a former uh, Oakland A's infielder. Dear, dear devoted man to Jesus Christ, a servant of God, but our days are not our own. They belong to God. And it's only by God's grace that we have the opportunity to, to know that and proclaim it and live out of that. So let's look at this. Let's look at how God wants to love us into that understanding of what it means to be his alone. Story is told of a group of British scholars discussing what makes Christianity different from all other world faiths. And as they were doing this, turns out a man named C.S. Lewis comes walking into the room. Some of you know who he is. And he said, what are you talking about? And they told him. And he said, oh, that's an easy question. That's easy. He said, it's grace. It's grace that makes Christianity different from all other world religions. As you said, Darren, the, the Bible is the only document that consistently records and accurately, effectively records the distinction of who God is. In two words, C.S. Lewis defined the plight and the hope of all humanity for all time. But isn't it ironic that a group of scholars, they were theologians, these were guys who should know, had, were having to debate what the difference was. They had overlooked the core piece, and that's what was going on. That's why we're here today. Why we are looking at what we call the five solas. Sola means only. The five onlys of the Reformation. Because the five things that stand alone as hope for all time and space in the 1500s had been forgotten, overlooked, buried, ironically by the very people who were supposed to live by them. This was not the rank and file who had lost touch with grace. This was the leadership of the church. 
thinking that somehow we could buy our way in. Today we, we zero in on, on the cornerstone of Christianity, but it's so ironic. It is so ironic that we, we miss this. And uh, Mary Spradley shared with me a study that was done not too long ago about how we so look grace in the eye and, and miss it. We don't even recognize it. We, even when we should, by all rights, have an intimate connection to it. And, and the, the illustration of this was when 12 women were gathered together at a, a seminar and, and they were asked, uh, how many of you love your husband? And they, they all raised their hands and they, they were asked, when was the last time you told your husband you loved him? And some said, today, yesterday, uh, and some couldn't even remember when the last time was they'd said they loved their husband. So they were then instructed to exchange phones, pass cell phones around, so that Sue has Mary's and Mary has Jane's and so forth, and they were to text message their, this message to their husband. And, and so they were texting on a phone number that was not familiar to their husband, okay? These words, and that is, uh, I love you, sweetheart. I love you, sweetheart, from an un unfamiliar number. So this is it. Uh, they were told to take out their cell phones and, and text them. And uh, so actually, they got their phones back. They were, it was not unfamiliar. And these are 12 actual replies. So I'm looking back at, at Lester and Karen. Lester would, have, would get this message from Karen, this text message, and it says, I love you, sweetheart. And these are the 12 responses. And they illustrate how we respond to God's grace. The first one was, who is this? Second one was, hey, mother of my children, are you sick or what? <laughs> Third one was, yeah, I love you too. What's wrong? <laughs> Fourth one, what now? Did you wreck the car? <laughs> Fourth one, I don't understand what you mean. <laughs> uh, uh, sixth one, what the heck did you do now? <laughs> are you, uh, seventh, are you sure this is for me? Eight. Don't beat around the bush. Just tell me how much money you need. <laughs> Ninth one, am I dreaming? Tenth one, if you don't tell me who this message is actually for, someone is going to die. <laughs> Eleven, I thought we agreed, <laughs> this is good, I thought we agreed you wouldn't drink during the day. <laughs> and the last one is priceless. Your mother's coming to stay with us, isn't she? <laughs> okay, those are great, but th I don't say that as just fluff. That's our problem. God has texted a message to us loud and clear. It's written in history. I love you, sweetheart. I love you. And we go, it's just going to be on the final. On my office door, there's a sign, and it says, everyone's story leads us to grace. Everyone's story leads us to grace. Some 
because they reflect it and others because they resist it. Everyone's story leads us to grace, some because they reflect it and others because they resist it. But the reality is both show us how much grace is needed. And we could stop right there. But the Bible is laced with stories of people who evidence resistance and reflection. Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, Jacob and Esau, David and Saul, Pilate and Paul, the younger and the older brother in the story of the prodigal. Films and literature are replete with this tension. Will we try to save ourselves or will we let ourselves be saved? And the reason there is a tension and even a spiritual amnesia is we are too proud to think we cannot rescue ourselves. We think that somehow there's got to be something we could do. And if we can't, well, that's just tough because no one's going to give you something you don't deserve. That's the world we live in, and that's our fallen state. No one's going to give you what you haven't earned. So rough, tough, cream puff if you don't make it. And yet God's grace says, yeah, I know, but you can't do enough. Adam and Eve thought fig leaves would work. Cain thought Abel, killing Abel, his brother, would work. Washing his hands would work. Paul thought, until he got knocked flat, that he would work his way home. Like the old TV commercial, we do things the old-fashioned way. We earn it. And by the 1500s, the church had come to, to think, as I've described, that salvation could somehow be humanly purchased, gained. The problem? For all our self-esteem, give everyone a trophy, feel-good programs, every single human being knows in their heart of hearts, whether or not they can articulate it this way, that they need grace. They need something they cannot earn. They need to be loved unconditionally, based not on who they are, but who the one is who's doing the loving. And we long for that. And not grace plus what we can do. We don't have time to, this morning to sort it all out, but our hope has nothing to do. The scriptures we've just read have said that. Our hope has nothing to do with what we do to make things up to God or anyone else. And if you don't believe that, think about how devastating it is when there's a rift in a relationship. No matter how much reconciliation there is, no, much, no matter how much I'm sorry there is, there is an, e an element of distrust and brokenness that is never, ever erased because that's just our fallen human nature. You see, until we accept that we need what grace truly is, we will be enslaved to our own schemes and dreams and ironically, futilely trying to find a way to not need what God alone can do. At the center of what Jesus did is the cross. At the center of what Jesus did is the cross. Only he could do this, and only he did, and he did so because if he didn't, those he came for would be lost forever. We have hope 
for eternity because Jesus Christ, the God of the universe, physically came into the world historically and gave himself up for us. The power of true grace is that we cannot earn it in any way, shape, or form. That's good news, that we can't earn it. We we can be grateful for it. We can respond to it. We can do good works out of it. We're called to do good works out of it, but out of joyful response. But we cannot add to it. It truly is God's riches at Christ's expense. No expense on our part. And this is the powerful thing about grace. It defines the depths of our need. As I have said again and again, what the gospel says at its core is we do not know what we need. Only God knows, and only God can make it known through his Holy Spirit And God speaks this message only through the shed blood of the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's our hope. That's the good news. I suspect we have bought into a works righteousness without even realizing it. As we have filled our lives with more and more activities and stuff, many of which are good, but too much good results in sacrificing the best. You can have a whole bunch of good and it gets in the way of the very best. You see, until we are recognizing and living apart from making an idol out of activity, we will be running away from grace. We will be saying, oh yeah, yeah, it's a great idea for somebody else, but I've got to do it this way until we stop thinking we can start another self-improvement plan. How many of you have broken all your New Year's resolutions so far? Until we get overthinking that some kind of self-improvement plan is going to fix who we are, we will not know the wonder and the power of what God's grace alone can do in our lives. A friend of mine said to me recently, and I, I so resonate with this personally, it was only when I decided I didn't need something any longer that I was free to have what that might possibly be and that's what God is saying you don't need the stuff of this world you only need me in 1960 the uh, Nobel Prize winning author John Steinbeck just a few years before his own death when driving around this entire nation with his dog, Charlie, looking for America's soul. And he writes of going to church one Sunday in a small town. And and Steinbeck was not a man of defined Christian faith. He was not a pious man. And that's what makes this all the more profound. He went to church in a small town, and he spoke and wrote of how then, in 1960, Our nation and we ourselves as a human condition have lost touch with our need for pure grace. He said, the service did my heart and I hope my soul some good. It has been a long time since I had heard such an approach. It is our practice now, 1960, it is our practice now, at least in the large cities, to find from our psychiatric priesthood that our sins aren't really sins at all, but accidents set in motion by forces beyond our control. 
There was no such nonsense in this church, he writes. You see, there is no such nonsense in the true body of Christ. And do you know why? Because God loves us too much to let us think that our sins are a matter of behavior or social dysfunction that we can correct with therapy or some good deeds. Now, therapy can be a great thing. God can use Christian therapists and and people to guide us to the need for grace. But God gave himself up because his grace alone would make us whole. We like to think we can help in this process. But notice, God did not ask us to get up on the cross with Jesus. I saw an interesting two-minute video this week that illustrated poignantly why we need grace alone. It was a demonstration in broad daylight of how to save yourself if you've fallen through the ice. It was like so many philosophies on how we can put all the pieces back together in our personal and global life. I mean, this, if you think about falling through the ice, that's deadly, right? Well, this was to say, yeah, but don't panic. In fact, that's what it said, don't panic. Here's what you do. It, it doesn't have to be the end of the world. There is a solution. There was just one problem. The person doing the demonstration was 20-something, a very fit athlete, and he knew he was going to fall through the ice in broad daylight with friends running around with the camera just in case it didn't work and he couldn't get himself out. And he, he did a good job, and he actually did get out of the situation, but the reality is it won't happen like that. It doesn't happen like that. We're in the dark and we have put ourselves there and we have fallen through the ice not even knowing that's what we were doing to ourselves. Joe Hawley sent me a comparable video. Joe, get your chainsaw with you. Here's a guy on the ice, same kind of situation. He's got a chainsaw in front of him and it's, he's got it down on the ice and he thinks it's very novel. He started it up and he's pushing the throttle and it's grab, the chain is grabbing the ice and he's got his ice skates on and it's pulling him around on the ice and he's going in big circles. And it's like one of those cartoons. You know that if he goes around enough times, he's going to cut a hole in the ice and he's going to fall right through. That's us. We're going around and around in circles thinking how novel this is. And, if, and by the way, if, if it does go through, we know exactly what to do because we watched the video about how to extricate ourselves, right? <laughs> There's always a, a comment section after these videos. And some smart aleck like me, it wasn't me, but I, I would have written this, wrote, a more effective approach would be not to walk on the ice, But the larger reality is that we all have. We all have. Dean, what's Romans 3.23 say? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Fall. All have sinned and fallen through the ice. It's already too late. That's the bad news. And we've fallen on a dark night. And there's no one around. There's no camera crew. And there's no lights. And it's not working the way the video said it would. Staying off the ice is a good idea, but it isn't an option. We will be surprised 
regardless of our age, we will be surprised by the effects of sin. And when we are, we will realize we can't save ourselves. It's not working. Let's face it. We've been doing this thing called life for a few thousand years now, right? And doesn't seem to be getting any better, does it? People are still killing one another. Right in, you know, civil war continues to exist. We are, we are miserably trapped because our sinful condition says we can save ourselves and can extricate ourselves from having fallen through the ice. Oh, just give me a little bit longer. Oh, just a little bit more time. We'll come up with a new program. Well, you know what? You go in, you go in through the ice and you don't have any longer because hypothermia kicks in in a, in a hurry. While we were down in Las Vegas, we went to the Smithsonian exhibit of the uh, Titanic artifacts. Did you know that the vast majority of the 1,500 people who died did not die through exposure to the water? They froze to death. They, it was just too cold. And we're, we're in the same situation. We're trying to save ourselves and even our own world by our own a- efforts when in fact we need to learn that grace invites us to be graceful. Grace enables us to do and to be what and who we never imagined possible. Grace makes it possible for us to stop trying so hard. Grace says, you know what, you can't do this, but it's already been done for you. Relax. Apart from grace, Adam's work became tyranny was never meant to be that way when we try to plow up enough dirt to feed ourselves we end up starving ourselves spiritually we need God's grace that says I love you let me give you let me give you what you really need do you know very practically why we need grace alone to hold up the walls of eternity from collapsing upon us and burying us forever do you know why because we, kn- we know we cannot gain what we really need. We are born with a God-shaped vacuum, Pascal said, so that we will long for God's grace alone. But our old nature keeps saying, it can't be that good. Our sinful nature says, it can't be that good. Or it won't count if it's free. Or it won't be okay for me. It might be for someone else. And therein is the lie that blinds us. There is the lie that blinds us. The opposite is the truth. Our lives won't count now or in the end if we don't accept that what we need most is that good and that it has to be free or it won't be good enough. How many of you know the the singer uh, Andrea Bocelli? A lot of you love his work. He was at Lake Las Vegas with David Foster and was asked to sing something spontaneously that had a a Las Vegas flair to it. You know this great opera singer, right? He says, okay. And he he walks over to the piano and he he says, David, just give me a little ring in like this, just a roll of the wrist, Jamie. And he starts off by singing and I won't sing it. Wise men say, only fools rush in, but I can't help falling in love with you. 
take my hand, take my whole heart too, for I can't help falling in love with you. That's what Jesus Christ says to you and me. He's blind to our sin. But he says, I love you. I want you to be loved by me. You see, the day will come when our bodies and our minds and our abilities and our resources will not be enough. Our youth will escape us. For all our busyness and resourcefulness and planning, this life and all that we think is going to make us whole will fail and we will fail with it. We will need God's grace and because of this, the truth is we need God's grace now. We need it when we're 14 and 40 and 107, Vern. We are already at the end of our resources. It's already there. If we're 14 years old, guess what? We're already at the end. We're not gonna, it's not gonna get any better. We're not gonna somehow get that PhD in life that says, ah, oh, I've arrived, I'm beyond the need. We will need that. The good news is we, that we are at the end of our resources and we can know it and can throw ourselves at the foot of the cross and be led there by God's Holy Spirit. And because of grace, we are now free to live lives, no longer bound by the hollow promises and futile works of our own. The greatest gift we give to one another is showing how futile it is to try to make our lives complete and that we are willing to be surrendered by God's, to God's grace. We show people what it means to surrender. Chuck Swindoll wrote this, I saw it this week. You say, that kind of surrender to another's plan makes me nervous. Well, that's why God calls us to, because he wants us to get beyond living by our own standards. He says, let me, let me say this, what I'm suggesting here is a totally different lifestyle. There's someone out there, and there's more than one, I guarantee it, that needs to feel and hear what you felt and heard today. They need to know about the living Savior, Jesus Christ, word of the flesh, now in appearing to us. So let's remember that as we go out of this place, we go nowhere by accident. Where we go, God is sending us, every one of us, where we are, our Lord has a purpose in our being there. Because Jesus Christ indwells us. He has something he wants to do through us where we are. May we believe it and go, therefore, in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, the communion and the fellowship and the equipping power of God's Holy Spirit that enables us every step of the way to say Jesus is Lord. Amen.